One thing I've learned over my 30 years of living is that I need reality checks. I need reality checks daily, sometimes more often than that. Um, and uh, fortunately, God saw fit to give me a live-in reality checker. Her name is Laura. Um, I, say, I told her I was going to say that, and I told her I, I would clarify that I don't mean that in a bad way at all. I really do need a reality check. Uh, from time to time. I really do, even though you think I speak okay and I look great. Um, I, I, I mess up a lot. I make mistakes. I make choices that I shouldn't be making. And Laura is my reality checker. She lets me know what I need to correct, what I need to correct for me personally uh, and for us as a family. I need that reality check. Um, other people are in my life as reality checks. Uh, a little over a year ago, a state trooper entered my life to give me a reality check. We were driving home from Laura's parents down 83 and the trooper came up beside me. Then he slowed down and got behind me and I thought, this isn't gonna be good. And sure enough, the lights came on and he pulled me over and said that my registration was expired. I had been living in the reality that I had till May when in actuality, I only had till March. Uh, so he let me know that. He gave me a reality check and thankfully just a warning and I was able to address that situation. But a reality check, just so we're all on the same page, is something that clarifies or serves as a reminder of reality, often by correcting a misconception. Uh, that word correcting is, is very important as we think about our reality checks. In fact, uh, that's the big question when we have a reality check. Will we correct the misconception. The key to any reality check is whether or not we make necessary changes. When Laura gives me a reality check, I can take it or leave it. If I'm smart, I take it. When that trooper pulled me over, I could take it or leave it. But there's always a risk with not using the reality check to make the necessary changes. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm sure you've had reality checks from time to time. I'm sure you've needed them as well. And they come from everywhere. Reality checks come from our parents, from our spouses, from our kids, from our employers, from our doctors, from our financial institutions, from the government, from mechanics. You name it, you can get a reality check there. They're so common and so consistent that it's not really a matter of whether or not you'll get one, it's just when you'll get one and whether or not you'll take advantage of it, whether or not you'll make those necessary changes. Because you have other choices. You don't have to make the change. You can huff and puff. You can get mad. You can moan and groan, complain, get upset. But to learn from the reality check and make the necessary changes, that's when it's most beneficial. That's when we see the benefit of a reality check. And God knows that we need them too. All through the Bible, we see God giving reality checks. And in Genesis, he says, Adam, where are you? What have you done? He talks to Cain when he killed Abel. He talked to the people and with Noah and we see with, with David and with Joshua and then all through the history of Israel, God offers them reality check after reality check after reality check and they sometimes get it, they sometimes don't. Then in the New Testament, Jesus came and, 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 and gave a reality check to the world that, that we still talk about today. And then in Corinthians, Paul offers a reality check, and that's what we're going to look at today. It's one verse. It's not overly deep. In fact, just by looking at the verse the first time, you'll pretty much be able to get the gist of the sermon. Now, that doesn't mean we're leaving early. It doesn't mean we're getting out. 
but, um, but if, you, if you pay attention, you'll get it right from the get-go here as we look at what Paul said to the church in Corinth. He said, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. He starts out with so. Some translations say therefore, or as a result, or because of this. He's talking about everything else he talked about in the chapter. Verse 58 is the very last verse of chapter 15, but the previous 57, he was talking about the, the resurrection, the gospel, reiterating to the people what Jesus had accomplished for them. Because you see, the people in Corinth were uh, pretty relatable. One person called Corinth an aspirational city. They were all about upward mobility, all about being better, all about getting a better job, getting more money, getting a better social standing. It was all about the upward mobility, and it was the constant societal push to increase, to be more, to have more. And that should sound pretty familiar. In fact, here's how another commentator puts it. To use terms from American culture, schmoozing, massaging a superior's ego, rubbing shoulders with a powerful, pulling strings, scratching each other's back, and dragging rivals' names through the mud all describe what was required to attain success in this society. That sounds familiar. It sounds very familiar. It's not too hard for us to imagine what it must have been like to be a Christ follower in that day. So Paul, who had already talked to them through the book of 1 Corinthians about things like what it means to be a church and how to be a church member and, and how to celebrate communion, and then that great chapter on love in 1 Corinthians 13, he does go through all of those things and then says, now, now look, you're living, you're working, you're socializing, and you're learning in a culture that wants to twist the gospel and make it easy. but let me remind you of what Christ did for you. Let me remind you of what Christ accomplished. Let me give you a reality check. The gospel isn't meant to be easy. It's meant to be gracious. And then he walked them through the gospel, the resurrection, what that meant for them. And, and after doing that, he said, as a result of all of this, or so, do these things, even in the midst of a, of a society that doesn't make it easy. In the midst of a society that doesn't make it easy to be a Christ follower, do these three things. Everybody wants easy. Marketers tell us all the time how easy things are, how easy we could have it. Easy is one of the buzzwords of today. Everybody wants it to be easy. I want it to be easy more often than I should. And that's why I need reality checks because sometimes I want it too easy. But the reality is, living the Christian life isn't easy. Jesus even told us, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. Trouble doesn't sound easy, does it? In this world, you will have trouble. See, if we're living an easy life, we're probably not living a deep faith. If your faith is easy, your faith probably isn't deep. If you're living an easy faith, we're probably not living a deep faith. Your relationship with Christ probably could be better. Because we like easy. 
We don't like hard. We don't like to have to work for things. I fully admit that I don't like waking up early so I can have the quiet time that I know I need so badly because it's easier to just sleep in. If we're living an easy faith, we're probably not living a deep faith. Yet Paul said, be strong, be be immovable, and work enthusiastically for Jesus. Be strong, be immovable, and work enthusiastically for Jesus. So here comes our big reality check this morning. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Are we strong? Are we immovable? Are we working enthusiastically for Jesus? This is the end of the chapter, and it's rather interesting. Usually, after Paul discusses something, he makes some real big, grand statement about that subject. So we'd expect it to be something about the hope we have in the end, the hope we have with the resurrection, and and, and something really big about that. But rather than that, Paul said what to do as a result of that being our reality. He said, because you already have your victory, because that's already your reality, because Jesus did all of these things for you, as you live this life in this culture that doesn't make being a Christian easy, be strong, be immovable, and work enthusiastically for Jesus. So are we doing that? Are we doing that? Too many of us live a faith that's based on what the Bible says, But we don't equate that with the fact that Jesus is called the word of God. If we want to do what the Bible says, we have to do what Jesus would do. We have to live a life that emulates Jesus. Because as we study the Bible, as we we present the Bible to other people, as we try to make people tow that line, we're really trying to make them tow a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need to live like we believe that's dependable. We need to live like we trust Jesus. If you believe the Bible, if you trust the Bible, you trust Jesus. And if you trust Jesus, you live like it. You live like it. Because if you trust someone, you act differently. If you trust someone, you act differently. When Laura and I were dating, she was in South Dakota. I was in Dallas. She came down for a weekend. We went to Fort Worth uh, to the stockyards. Great area. You have rodeos. They have cattle drives through that part of town. And it's really pretty neat. Um, but a guy came up and handed Laura a flower, and immediately I didn't trust him. <laughs> then he asked me to pay for that flower, and I trusted him even less. <laughs> See, if we don't know people, we don't know their background, we don't know their motive, we don't know what, what their end game is, we hold back. We handed the flower back and kept on walking. Another example, I'm, I'm actually a pretty quiet guy. I don't Uh, talk a lot when I'm around people I I don't know or don't know real well. But once you get to know me and I know you, um, then I open up and I'll act differently. This morning, do you feel like you're opened up to Jesus? Do you feel like you know him well enough to really be you? Do you act differently because you trust him? Or are you still holding back because you haven't really gotten to know him well enough? to feel comfortable doing that yet. We don't need to hold back with Jesus. We can trust him. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, because Jesus did this for you, because he's, he's done all this, he, he loves you, be strong, 
be immovable, and work enthusiastically for Jesus. We don't want to get too caught up in one of these, though, because if we look at any one of them without the other two, uh, we lose the balance. Our, Our tendency is probably to be strong or to be immovable. And so we say things, well, the Bible says this, or the Bible says that, and and that's great. We need to hold to the scripture. Paul's saying, don't let them twist the gospel. Don't let them twist what the Bible says. Remain faithful to the text. But that last one, that's where it all evens out. He says, work enthusiastically for Jesus. Because if we don't put that part in there, we risk becoming old and grumpy and complaining about the culture. And I fully realize by describing old and grumpy and complaining about the culture, I could very easily be describing a 30-year-old and not a 70-year-old. It's a mindset. It's a way we approach our relationship with Jesus, and it's the way we approach the culture, where we're told it won't be easy. Remember, we see that everywhere. It won't be easy. But even in the midst of that, we can be strong, immovable, and work enthusiastically for Jesus. And if we do that, we'll see people the way Jesus saw people people to love in the midst of disagreements. I would love for that to be my reputation and the reputation of any church I'm ever at. We're people who love people in the midst of disagreements. We'll never tell you your sin is okay, but we'll always tell you we love you and we'll actually treat you like we do. Instead of saying love the sin, hate the sinner, and then treat people differently anyway, that happens far too often. Let's say, hey, here's the Bible. This is what we believe. We're not gonna change that but that doesn't mean I can't be around you. That doesn't mean I can't share the love of Christ with you. Work enthusiastically for Jesus as Jesus worked. When people came to him, even if he disagreed with their lifestyle, he interacted with them. He exposed them to the truth. He established relationship. If we do that, we'll know that there are people we can reach in the midst of differing worldviews, people to help even though there's nothing in it for us on this side of heaven. But we can be strong, we can be immovable, and we can work enthusiastically for Jesus. That's really all there is to this. Like I said, when we first started, uh, just reading the verse tells you the three key points. Be strong, be immovable, and work enthusiastically for Jesus. Paul says that because of what Jesus has done, we can do this And that should be it. We can just take that, apply it, memorize it, make it our mantra. Be strong, be immovable, work enthusiastically for Jesus. And that should be enough. Because of all that God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, just the reality check, just the reminder to be strong, be immovable, and work enthusiastically for Jesus should be enough for us to say, all right, Let's see what we need to change to make that happen. Let's see what we need to do to make that happen. How, what do I need to change so that these three things describe me? Because in light of what Jesus has done, absolutely I want to do that. And so we need to move on to our strategic planning uh, update, and I hope you'll see how this ties in uh, with, with this important process. Uh, You should have been given a handout when you walked in. If you didn't, you can certainly pick one up as you leave this morning. Uh, Just want to give you a quick timeline of the strategic planning process. Started somewhere around November 2018. It continues through the present. It will continue into the future. Uh, We've had many meetings. We had a large church audit 
that many of you participated in, um, hours of conversation and review and, and strategy development. Um, uh, this particular version of strategic planning, there are many out there, uh, combines uh, uh, wonderful biblical values and very practical steps as well for church health. And I want to say from the outset, uh, strategic planning for a church is something that needs to be done regularly. Uh, corporations do it all the time. Um, businesses do it all the time. Churches should do it at least once every 10 years to make sure we're staying on track, make sure we're aware of what's happening around us, make sure we're reaching people with the gospel. So don't think, oh, we're doing strategic planning, something must be wrong. This is the opportunity to say, well, what could be tweaked? What are we doing well? And where do we need to put our focus? So advanced strategic planning, I just want to give you uh, an update. This is not presenting this to you as a final version. As I said, there's more to be done. This is just an update so you know where we are. The definition of strategic planning is a fourfold process to re-envision and revitalize a church by developing a biblical mission and a compelling vision, discovering core values, and crafting a strategy that implements a unique, authentic church model. Without going into the process too much, if you want more information, talk to me or one of the team members um, if you have questions. Um, we've done the first part of this. We've done some of the evaluating and we've looked at a biblical mission, vision, and some values. And now we're moving into the strategy development portion of it. But we want to update you on all of this first. Uh, the mission of Yorkshire Church as it currently stands is uh, to be God's people empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, to be, it's in your bulletin. See, I can't even remember it. Didn't even try that one. But what we were saying is we see it in the bulletin regularly, but how many of us actually memorize it and then make sure we're living it out? And so we talked about a biblical mission needs to be great commission based, but also simple enough to remember and to actually do and use as a measurement tool. And so after much discussion, the one that was agreed upon by the committee was sharing Jesus, growing believers. Great commission-based, simple, memorable, and easy to measure. We can say, is this activity sharing Jesus with somebody? If not, is it helping to grow believers? If not, why are we doing it? Doesn't mean we can't do it, but let's ask, why are we doing it? If our mission is to share Christ or share Jesus and grow believers, we need to make sure that's what we're doing. It gives us a clear focus, and it's easy to remember, something we can easily uh, put around the church, easily see, easily say, and easily share in the work of. Then the vision. We talked about all sorts of different vision statements. We looked at other vision statements from other churches, and then somebody suggested that our current vision statement is actually very good. Um, our vision is to become like Jesus in our character, to nurture loving and caring relationships, and to reach all people with the love and message of Jesus Christ. That's what our vision statement is and has been uh, for a number of years. And so rather than change that, we know a, a vision really needs to create a picture so that when we look forward 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, what will Yorkshire look like? This is the picture we want to see. So we used those as the, the headings of subcategories, and just added detail below them to help add more definition to that picture so we have a better ability to see uh, what this vision might actually look like. And so to become like Jesus in our character, we envision a community of growing believers engaging in Bible-based worship, prayer, and educational opportunities. And we envision helping all people discover their spiritual gifts so that they are equipped to serve God, his church, and the community. It's helping people become like Jesus in their character. 
Second, to nurture loving and caring relationships, we envision helping people experience spiritual growth in their friendships, family, and personal relationships and marriages. We envision becoming a church of small groups where we model biblical community, a safe place where we accept one another and are accepted, love and are loved, lead and are led, encourage and are encouraged, forgive and are forgiven, and serve and are served. Our vision is to reach all people with the love and message of Jesus Christ. We envision welcoming all people into God's family by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We envision sharing the good news of Jesus with all people. And we envision reaching our community through connections with individuals, neighborhoods, and organizations. Can you picture that? Can you picture a church that does that? That's, that's the vision we want to share and, and cast for 10, 20 years down the line. And finally, our core values on the backside of the sheet. Um, based on the church's history, based on our current activity, based on the audit we completed as a church, uh, we wanted to know what do we value as a church. Uh, we selected eight because the experts say that any more than eight uh, get too hard to really track. You want something you can really keep contained, really uh, ascribe to. But this doesn't mean that we don't value other things that didn't make the list. This just means this is what uh, was believed to be what describes us best in our core values. The first six are what we call current values, values that we already see exhibited um, around the church. And the last two are what we call aspirational values, things we would probably all agree are very important, but things that for one reason or another uh, we don't see happening a lot right now. And so we want to work toward that. And those values are the truths of Scripture. And then with each value, we have a goal to help us work toward that as well. Uh, we value worship that is focused on God and spiritually enriching. Uh, we talked a lot about how to modify the word worship, how to describe it. And words like joyful and, and hope-filled and all sorts of things came up. But then we said, you know, the Bible isn't all full of joy. There are times when we mourn and there are times when we are not happy. There are times when we wonder what God is doing. And all through the Bible, even in the midst of that, people worship. And that's the kind of worship we want. Authentic. We don't put, it on, put on a happy face if we're not feeling happy. But we talk to God. We worship him. We ascribe to him the value and worth that is due him. We value a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that is ever growing. We want to help all believers grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. We value fellowship that is joyful and inviting. We value helping families and individuals grow closer to God and each other. And we value excellence in all that we do. We want to do our best, not for our personal recognition, but because we're doing it for God. And therefore, it should be done with excellence. And then the two that we aspire to, that we want to get better at, we value evangelism and will make sharing the love and teachings of Jesus a priority. And as part of that, the goal is to make sure we don't just say, go tell people about Jesus, but we actually provide opportunities to help you know how to do that. Trainings and classes and, and, and ways you can do that. It doesn't all have to be going down uh, to a skate park and talking to teenagers. Some of you would be perfect for that. Some of you need to just go next door and talk to your neighbor. And we're going to find ways to help you feel comfortable doing that, to feel empowered uh, to do that, and feel confident in doing that. And finally, we value leadership 
and will work to help individuals develop and use their gifts at Yorkshire. The next step that I'll talk about is uh, spiritual development, te- strategic development teams. Uh, but something that's come up in many discussions has been the need for spiritual gifts awareness. And so to develop a way for you to know what your spiritual gift is. How has God gifted you uniquely that the person beside you, they're not gifted that way. But because you are, you have an important role here at the church. And we can help you realize that and utilize that and find fulfillment in who God made you to be in this place called Yorkshire. And so we value leadership and will help to make sure that becomes a value as well. So that was completed. And the next step was to break our larger strategic development team into uh, smaller groups uh, to focus on some key areas. Um, Basically, rather than come up with a sheet that looks and sounds good, uh, we know that can easily be tucked in a file folder somewhere and never looked at again. Uh, But we want to say, if this is what we truly believe, if this is what we're ascribing to, how do we make sure it actually happens? How do we make sure it actually becomes a reality? And so that's what the strategic development teams do. Uh, They're working on how we implement and accomplish the mission, vision, and values. And so the areas they look at are ministry teams. That's both staff and laity in ministry and the work of the church. Community outreach. How are we reaching the community? Our finances, our making disciples, and ministry setting. And wherever there is already a committee, such as staff parish or finance or trustees or, or careabouts in the church that uh, relates to one of these, we've made sure to involve at least one member of those groups as well, so we're not doing things completely separate, but so that there's some cohesiveness and some discussion um, across, uh, across both sides as we go through this. So from here, uh, the next steps are, like I said, this is just an update. This is not saying, here we go, next Sunday this begins. This is just an update. Um, From here, we're going to be including our interim pastor in the discussions as we plan the next year. Uh, He's already attended one meeting. Uh, We're going to share uh, this work with the new senior pastor and say, this is what we've been working on. This is who we feel God's called us to be. But, But you've been sent here to be our senior pastor and to expect you to buy into this isn't fair to you. So we're going to ask for his or her input on it too so that they have buy-in and they're passionate about it and so that we can work together, congregation and pastor, all together uh, through that process. And there will be more opportunities to talk. Uh, Presenting it on a Sunday morning gets the message out uh, quickly, but it doesn't allow for dialogue. So there'll be opportunities to talk um, in classes and special gatherings where we can have some conversation and some back and forth about all of this, answer questions, address concerns. Um, So those opportunities will be happening as well. Um, That's strategic planning. Uh, But like I said, I hope you can see some parallels between what we hope to accomplish through this process and what today's scripture tells us. What today's scripture is telling us about uh, being the church that God has called us to be, about being the Christians that God has called us to be. I remind you of it. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I've done way too many things where I feel like my work was useless. But after saying, be strong, be immovable, always work enthusiastically, he says, when you do that, it's not useless. It's not useless. It's not in vain. God will honor it. He will bless it. 
He will honor you for being faithful to him. So be strong, be immovable, work enthusiastically for Jesus. Can you imagine what it would be like if those three things described us? Can you imagine how we'd act, how we'd interact with our neighbors, how we'd impact our community? If we were so enthusiastic in our work for Jesus that people inside and outside these walls knew we were people who were sharing Jesus and growing believers. And we could be enthusiastic about that. Now, most people don't associate the word enthusiastic with church. But Paul says they should. And we should give people a reason to do so. So be strong. Be immovable. Work enthusiastically for Jesus. Talk about an exciting place to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, for the work that the strategic planning team has already been dedicating to this process and for the work that will continue. I thank you for these people, for being willing to uh, come today, to being willing to worship, to, to say to you, I, I believe that, that worshiping you is worth my time. May we do so enthusiastically. And, and as we go out into the world, may we realize that it's not easy to be a Christian. May we realize that you know that and that you have still called us to be strong and immovable and work enthusiastically because you've already accomplished everything that matters in Jesus Christ. With that confidence, may we be stronger Christians. May we be a stronger church. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.